Josh, another one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be with you. Let me uh, start by reading our sermon text. This is uh, Ephesians 2, starting in uh, chapter 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, what is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a joy to see our little church family grow. We love church membership here and... uh, We are kind of in between sermon series now, so we're doing a little one-off teaching on on the church, on what it means to belong to the church, what the Bible says about the church. Normally, if you've been around any length of time, you know that we're nestled into a book of the Bible, just chugging through for however long that it takes. Uh, But today, for our teaching, we get to spend time just kind of reflecting uh, on the church, kind of from, from all of Scripture, what it means for us. Uh, to be the church, what, it, what the lived out reality of the church looks like as we step into to what God has made the church to be and do. Uh, my pastoral aim for us this morning is that we would just marvel at the beauty of the church of God that he has created and then live into it practically. Uh, to start, I want to tell you about my love story with the church. After growing up uh, deeply involved in the church, there was a season of my life Uh, where despite being pretty committed to Jesus, church was just not even on my radar. Very Very little interaction with the church. Like I was involved in the campus ministry, leading worship, Bible studies, mission trips. I'm not good at doing things part way. So like I was all in on the Jesus stuff, but at that point in my life, I just had no category framework for why church mattered. Honestly, in college, I would go to church just because the town I was going to school in didn't have a Chipotle, and so I'd drive down to Cincinnati because there was this mega church that had good coffee. It was right next to Chipotle. It was just something to do on, on Sunday morning or whatever. And then I had my beatnik season where I'm just backpacking around the globe, not really going to church at all, like reading my Bible, praying or whatever, just like not, I didn't have any ecclesiology, didn't have any framework for the church. Uh, but then I found myself <clears throat> in China, a part of a house church, which was a totally new expression of the gathering of the saints from what I had experienced before. Uh, I was uh, kind of coming off my like wandering beatnik phase, and I was like, I need people. Like, I cannot keep doing this. And that, you know, that was what was available in China. It was a house church. And it was a, it was a country where you had to talk in code. You know, Ken, Ken does this uh, from his missionary days. We, we called praying yarping. It's like prayer backwards. So like, let's yarp everybody um, so that, you know, the... The, the powers that be wouldn't hear the, the Jesus language and whatever. 
Uh, and the folks at my, chouse, at my house church loved me so well. Uh, Sunday mornings were so precious. This unhurried fellowship time. We'd get in uh, Chinese street food for breakfast, which is amazing. And then, you know, singing and teaching and praying. And then we go out for lunch. And, you know, we were just kind of all each other had uh, in, 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 the, in the city. Holidays and birthdays together. Uh, but then, as it always does, it got hard some conflict in the house church. And, you know, when you're that small of a body of believers uh, in, a, in, a, in a country where you can't just, you know, roll on down the street uh, to, the, uh, to the next church, the, the only thing to do was to just kind of show up to it. And, uh, you know, I was young uh, at that time. And I just remember being stunned by the conflict. And I was out to lunch with some people and I was kind of ranting about how ridiculous it is to be inconvenienced by these random people in this random church in this random country. Like, this is, what, what is going on? And one of the people, like, looked at me and said, Josh, there's nothing random about this at all. Like, this is the work that God has given us to do. He's brought us together and wants to do stuff in us through it. Uh, and at that point in my life, I was in my stagecage Calvinism um, uh, cage stage, I said that backwards. Uh, and so I was all about the sovereignty of God, and so I just like blinked at the table like, did I just say random right now? <laughs> like, of course it's not random. Of course God has stuff for us in this. And that was a huge, uh, a huge moment for me. And I, it was being a part of that, working through that conflict that I fell in love with church and decided that I wanted to do and be the church, center my life around being with God's people uh, for, for the, until I die. And which for me has looked like being a pastor, but of course that's not the only way to be in love with God and his people, as, as many of you are living out in your various vocations. And, and like a marriage, uh, most of my pain with church has come after falling in love with her. Uh, but that also is not random or an accident. We're outside what the Bible would tell us to expect in our interactions with the bride of Christ. In fact, I would say the mo- some of those painful moments uh, of my time being a part of the church were the times where I felt most fathered by God, uh, where the depth of the glory of the truth that Jesus gave his life for this group of people, for his bride, the church, so that she might become uh, beautiful, perfect, purified, redeemed, without blemish, washed clean, uh, that, that, that came, became so much more real as I was feeling pain from being a part of the church. But what is the church? What does the Bible say about it? And when it comes to describing the church, the Bible just explodes in all these different metaphors because it's so, to, just to capture the fullness and the glory and all the different angles of what it means to be the church. And me- metaphors that are, are glorious, massive biblical themes that we could trace from the beginning all the way to the end throughout Scripture. And we see how they're fulfilled in Jesus. And as we are united uh, with Christ, we, they now apply to us, us in a certain way. Um, and today I just wanted to, like, because it's kind of a one-off and, I don't know, be a little creative, to just do a brief walk through the three main metaphors we see in the Bible describing the church and let the Bible's teaching lead us to live in light of the reality that they're pointing to. I mean, metaphors are by, nef- by definition, uh, you know, abstract a little bit, but they're getting to a deeper truth. And uh, the way I interpret the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make grids and disciples of all nations. I made a grid to uh, categorize all the stuff as a joke. If you know me at all, I love grids. I put everything in a grid. And, uh, and just to have fun with it, Pastor Ken has uh, grids. If you didn't get one on your way, way in, raise your hand and he can hook you up. Um, but we'll kind of walk, be walking through the grid. We've got one hand there. All eyes closed, head bowed. Have we see any hands? Any hands? No. 
So we're going to walk through these metaphors. And the idea of the grid is that it's meant to kind of start with Scripture's teaching on the metaphor and then like kind of walk us all the way through a lived, a lived reality, how we might practice the reality that that metaphor is meant to point us to. Before we get to the grid, though, three framing ideas. First, you'll notice that the three metaphors stem directly from the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I had to hold myself back. A lot of things got cut out of this part of the manuscript because there's so much to talk about right here on the Trinitarian basis of not just being a human but being the church, what it means to be a human as a relational social creature, as we're image bearers of God who himself lives, dwells in community amongst the three persons of the Trinity. Second, the reality of these metaphors is put into practice locally. So theologically, biblically, there's the big C church, capital C church, which is the church uh, since Pentecost, in all times, in all places, and all people that we're all a part of. Uh, but then there's the little C church, and these metaphors, they become practical in a particular time and place, in a particular people, which is why we love church membership here at Redemption City. These metaphors are embodied by a specific group of covenant church members in a specific place. And it's just mind-blowing that these glorious realities of uh, who God is, what he's done in the gospel, and the, and the implications of that gospel are experienced just with like scruffy me and beautiful, wonderful you. Like right here in, Re- in Redemption City, in Grand Rapids, these, these glorious things meet. Third, This is a biblical ideal sermon. I made that term up, uh, but it's a vision of what Scripture says church can and should be. And I think it's breathtaking. It's something I want to give my life to. But whenever we talk about ideals or the vision set set before us, it can kind of hurt that we have to process the gap between the vision and the ideal and what we are living. It can stir up some bitterness and resentment. And I just want to say that there's space for pain. Space for anger. And our, our prayer, our cry and hope here is that in a gospel-centered church, there's space for healing. And as they say in the counseling world, we're, we're hurt in relationships and we're healed in relationships with God first and foremost and then ultimately with his people. So let's jump into the first metaphor. The church community is the Father's family. You read uh, Ephesians 2, 18 and 19. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The meaning behind this metaphor is that Jesus, Jesus followers living in community have the, the shared identity and the belonging and relational intimacy that, come, that, that we think of when we think of like being a part of an actual biological family. There's some belonging there, and there's a shared identity. Eugene Peterson says that you can summarize the entire Bible in a sentence with God gets his family back. Tribalism is a big thing in our culture, uh, and we, I think as we experience more and more hostility and conflict, especially like in the political sphere, uh, a lot of it flows from this this tribalism that is a, a way for humans to try to find some sense of belonging and identity. Like, I am a person who votes this way or believe, thinks these things. Like, all those little, like, uh, you know, progressive creed signs, you know, like, love is love and all that stuff. Like, that we, 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 like, gather around these creeds because we're looking for a way to identify. Who, who am I? Who are my people? Who is looking out for me? Church's family shows us 
in the gospel, shows us the gospel and how in a family, what is the basis of your belonging in a family? Birth, who your father is. Nothing you do gets you into a family. Nothing you do will undo the fact that you're part of a family. You were born, ergo, you belong. You get the benefits, privileges, and relationships of the family by birth. Regardless of your performance, you don't apply. There's not like a little baby tryout. You see like get the fastest baby in the 40-yard you know, dash or something. We, when we trust in Jesus and we're made new by the Spirit, we become God's children. We're adopted into his family by grace. Nothing we do, nothing we did got us in, and nothing can separate us from the, the Father's love. And in that love, our identity as children of God, the core need that we all have for security and comfort is, is, is met. I'm safe in my Father's care. A son or daughter of the Father who also happens to be the God of the universe who has promised to give me all that I need. In a way that we experience God's providence is through participation in the local body. For example, how much security might you feel when someone sees you're ugly and loves you anyways? When you admit that you're, you're wrong, you, 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 you stop faking, you, you confess and you repent, and someone looks at you with love and says, I forgive you. What does that do for our sense of belonging and security? How do you feel when someone who has hurt you repents and asks for forgiveness and asks for your help to change? These are beautiful, intimate, deeply formative, redemptive experiences that can be available to a group of Jesus followers that are seeking to live out what the Bible says is true. They're hard, they're uncomfortable, like none of that feels you know, like Disneyland or whatever, but they make the gospel very real to us. The one another command that I threw on the chart here is from Romans 12, be devoted to one another, because I think that makes sense in a, fa- in a family standpoint. We understand family devotion, and Paul is using that sense of devotion uh, in Romans for the, for the people of God, for the family uh, of God in, in the church. And family is a concrete thing. Like, we live with their families, work, play, rest, cry, repent, forgive. We tolerate flaws. Uh, and I know, you know, a lot of us might have experienced a lot of pain in our biological families um, that need healing and and the word of adoption over you in Christ is that there's, there's a new family for you to belong in. There's a, there's a new family system for you to enter in and to be reparented as an adopted child into God's family. But even in the healthiest family, just think with me. If you love your family, your family was a blessing like mine was, think about all the things that your siblings or parents have done that hurt you or the things that you've done to hurt your parents and siblings, and yet you probably still have a seat at the table. You can still call them if you need something. They still watch your kids. Devoted means sticking with it, showing up, prioritizing. And that's why the practice, the the way we live out the family of God in this place together and be devoted to one another is simply show up, be together. In our Sunday gatherings, you're doing a great job. You're, You're already doing it in life transformation groups, uh, just throughout the week, we shop together, watch each other's kids, loan tools, do projects, celebrate birthdays and weddings. We grieve together when there is loss and pain. You know, when after trying to get pregnant for a while, we finally got pregnant. It was like, do we wait the normal three months to tell some of our friends in church? We're like, well, even if we lost the baby, we would want, we'd want to tell them that. We'd want them to grieve with us. Like, that's the, the kind of idea that we're, we're talking about, the people that you let in. The next analogy is... Uh, community, according to scripture, is that it's Christ's body. 
We get this briefly mentioned in our sermon text, but just to make it extra clear, flip with me to 1 Corinthians 12. For the sake of time, I'm going to read uh, just a few of these verses that show us the beauty of this metaphor, starting in verse 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. Skip down to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need to you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And, and the, on those parts the body of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And the unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The meaning behind this metaphor is that just like a physical body, we as a church family are mutually dependent. Just like the parts of your body are mutually dependent on each other, so we are in church family, and that we all have a part to play. We all have a role to play. First, let's talk about mutually dependent. It's maybe a little bit of a biblical teaching that could rub us wrong, uh, the wrong way a little bit in West Michigan, uh, where we, we value our independence. Like, I got my life in order. I don't want to depend on anyone or anything. But it, the way I read scripture, the, the the thought that we are self-sustaining, autonomous beings is a lie, is contrary to how God designed humanity. Like we, to be human is to be dependent on something. And so what, what, what do we substitute relationships with? I mean, a lot of things, but the thing that comes to mind is, is money. Like that, that becomes the thing that we depend on. We replace our relationships uh, with, with money, maybe insurance policies that they can buy or whatever. Not that you know, that's bad or whatever, but you, I hope you get what I'm saying. The metaphor shows us uh, powerfully the mutually dependence of God's com- community. Because it's not just like optional or elective or just when you're overwhelmed. It's like to survive. Like what can the brain do without the heart and lungs? Nothing. It's dead. And the sad thing that I see a lot as a pastor is that, I mean, no one is like, yeah, I'm, I'm not busy. Like we're, we're all frazzled and, o- and overwhelmed by life. But then there's this part of us that wants to resist getting help and support depending on anyone else. But God designed you to be dependent. It's not a failure to need help or depend on other people. It's stepping into God's design. On him, obviously, first and foremost, but also on his people. And to think that we deeply trust and depend on God, uh, you know, particularly for our salvation, when we, when we ha- don't do that hardly at all in any horizontal relationship with God's people is probably a little bit naive. As they say, how we relate is how we relate. Like, I am in this ivory tower that no one, that I don't need anyone, but oh yes, I totally depend on God. Just something to chew on. And this dependence is good news. Like, if we feel overwhelmed, like, we can just say we weren't meant to handle it and ask for help. Even just within our own nuclear family. Like, never before in human history has the nuclear family had the expectations and pressure to do everything by itself. We say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to be a human. But on the other side of this metaphor, some of us might neglect the fact that there's some work to do being a part of the body and expect others to jump in and fix it for us. I haven't met a lot of those. You guys are a hard-working crew. I've met a lot of the people like that at Redemption City. 
but maybe on the other side, in the pursuit of independence, we stay aloof and distant from the church family and just kind of pop in when it fits our schedule or when we feel like it instead of showing up to participate and contribute. When we neglect the God-given role that we have to play in the body of Christ, either because we expect others to do it or because in our self-protection or just busyness we, we don't participate, it, the, the body will, will hurt, will suffer. It's like if an organ or a limb refused to participate. There was a guy in my neighborhood a couple neighborhoods ago uh, who had had a, a series of uh, strokes. And so the like, right side of his body was like, like limp. And he was a sweet guy. And he was like working super hard to get it back. And so he would go for these walks almost every day right in front of her house up a hill carrying a little dumbbell. And he, and he, and he, would, he would drag it, try to like get, get some strength. And I just wonder if that's like a picture how of a lot of churches where you have some of the parts trying to drag this floppy, sagging body along and it's not healthy. Being a part of Christ's body shows us the gospel and how, one, we need help. There's no way to say you're a Christian without acknowledging that. I need a lot of help. We, we needed Jesus' help uh, to deal with our sin and guilt and shame. The sin, I think, that a lot of times comes from trying to be independent. And we con- continue to live into that gospel reality by depending on our church family in areas we are weak. And we see the good news of the gospel is not just that God saves us and puts us on a shelf, but that we're now new creations in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared for you, perfectly designed. He's given you work to do. And the core need here is is significance. Do I matter? Does anyone actually care about me? Does anybody care about what I do? And in the church, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. You matter not only enough to get help when you're weak, you matter when you can't contribute, when you can't participate. You, mat- you matter because of who you are in Christ, but you also matter because you have a role to play in the church. I look at you know, the, the epidemics of depression and anxiety. You know, depression stems from meaninglessness, this sense of helplessness of just, I, I, I have no capacity or ability to, to make a difference or to, to do anything to change my circumstances. And anxiety comes from isolation, this a limited trusting relationships from people who, who see your worth, the work of your life, and, and they come alongside you in it. One of the sweetest formative moments was a church I worked at where I, I, we were newlyweds and we were going through all this marriage stuff and they cared for us in that weakness and also let me, let me work in the church. Like, let me have a ton of great opportunities to work and use my gifts. It was one of the sweetest experiences ever to both be seen in my weakness and get help from people and also to be able to participate, not be put on the bench because I wasn't fully arrived yet. The two one another commands in the chart are bear one another's burdens. In the context of Galatians 6, uh, that's when people are sinning. They're, they're off in their lives. They're out of step with the truth of the gospel. We can step into their lives like Jesus stepped into our lives. We're willing to get messy caring for sinful people, which the mess might be some, some humble, gentle questions and, and, and correction and rebuke, having hard conversations, another thing we don't like to do in West Michigan. But it also might mean just like locking arms with someone as they deal with the consequences of their sins. And then we serve one another, which has two angles. I think about the the Good Samaritan parable. Like all the things that the Good Samaritan did in order to care for the guy on the side of the road. He He let his schedule be interrupted with his time, his money, his resources. 
uh, we make them available to our brothers and sisters. And I just want to testify, a lot of us here at Redemption City are very good at this uh, serve one another. Camille and I have felt so served uh, by so many of you in our time here. The other angle, though, this, this one another command, it only works if what? Someone's getting served. Like, if, if none of us are being served, then, who, then how, how, do, how do we exercise this? Uh, and so that, one of the ways we live into the truth of who the church is is we ask for help. We let people serve us. Mike Birch and I got coffee months ago when uh, our life was just crazy with some home stuff, and he asked if there was anything he could do to help. And, you know, technically, like, I'm an adult, we could have like made it happen or whatever, but that day Camille was driving back from Ohio by herself with the kids, and I had this long list of housework I had to do before they got home, and so I asked if he'd get us dinner, and he had pizza delivered for us. Uh, and it was, you know, it's uncomfortable to ask for that, like we could have we handled it, but it was so sweet to, be, to feel seen by my brother in that like really scruffy day and just have the doorbell ring with food. And, you know, Mike, the sweet guy that he is, was like, it's a joy to do that. I'm so glad you asked. Like, that's the posture of most of your brothers and sisters when you ask for help. I'm so glad you gave me the opportunity to do this. I know it can be awkward. I know maybe a lot of us grew up in a family where we minimize our needs. Like, it's not okay to have needs. We never talk about them. Shameful to talk about them or whatever. But that's not the way of the gospel. It's not the way uh, that the church needs to be. And also, real practically, you can serve here on Sundays. It's a whole body, uh, whole church body effort to make this gathering happen. Uh, we have uh, our uh, slide, uh, people running the slides back there. So shout out to Susie and Jesse, uh, Jason and Janie. They, they hold it down uh, doing the slides, which I think is like one of the most thankless jobs. It's something like a job that you don't think about until the slide isn't right. And then you're like, what's going on? So it's, it's a really hard one to like stay faithful. Of course, we have our soundboard heroes, uh, people doing the Connect ministry, brewing coffee for us. We're serving in the kids' ministry. I was thinking about some of the names that were mentioned. They weren't up here because they're already down there serving with our kids. Uh, it, take, it takes a lot, and, and many hands make for light work. We have a high value of rest and fighting burnout here at Redemption City, so we want all hands on deck in a rotation so, you know, Susie's not clicking slides. Though she does fix my typos a lot. I always am blessed when Susie's on slides. So anyways, literally though, seriously, reach out to me on Slack. If you're not serving on Sunday morning in in some kind of rotation, we'll get you plugged in. The last metaphor uh, is back in Ephesians 2, and it's that we are the temple. Starting in verse 18, Ephesians 2, we'll start in verse 18. For through him, Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. But on the foundation of the built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Hold me back on this one. This whole like temple idea is such an epic theme. From page one of scripture, so much was cut out of the manuscript on this one. Uh, Suffice it to say, the meaning of this metaphor for the church is that the church is set apart, is is one way to understand what the word holy means. It's set apart, it's distinct, it's particular, and it's a place where the presence of God was located. 
In the temple on the Holy Holies, it was a, a symbol for the reality that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If you read the Old Testament, you read the Old Testament, it's just page after page of all kinds of stuff about the temple. Uh, people who wanted to build it like David but couldn't because he was a man of blood and all these incredible particular details about what is made out of and what's woven on what tapestry and all this stuff. Why is it such a big deal? It's because it was where God's spirit, his presence dwelt on earth, the holy of holies. And God-fearers from around the world would travel to Jerusalem uh, to be there, to make, where sacrifices were made to become acceptable and approved in the eyes of God. You think about this idea of a place that's being set apart, designated holy for a purpose, like W-H-O-L-L, like holy is being holy, set apart, de- devoted, designated for a purpose. And, and that was meant to show God to the nations. Like you remember Jesus flipping tables in the temple? He says what? My house should be a house of prayer for the nations. It's a, it's a place of, where people can come and access the one true God. This meaning for the church behind the metaphor Uh, is that we have the Holy Spirit living in our bodies individually and then together as we gather and do life together become a place where the presence of God is available to the world who, who needs it. He's with us and we're set apart from him. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6. It says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. Do you hear the extravagant goodness of this? That God himself will will live among us. We're set apart, separate for him. He'll be with us, walking among us. And Paul's talking about the local church the local place where the presence of the almighty God dwells. is no longer Jerusalem or some fancy you know, room or auditorium. Instead, it's where the people of God, the little tabernacles, the people of God gather. Jesus said, says it himself, where two or three are gathered in my name. I am there. I am with them. Every human heart is longing for the presence of God. Whether... I mean, that, that, that's my hypothesis. You could, we could talk about it later. But whether you know it or not, like we, we, every human has that longing for eternity. Any sin or behavior is probably someone trying to find that satisfaction uh, only found in God apart from him. And so the core gospel truth of the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit is that God is the gospel, that we get God, the presence of God. Jesus died, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that he might bring us to God. God's presence shows us a unique way that the core human need for approval is, is met. And, and it informs how the other two needs are met. God is our Father, but He's present. He's, he's not our Father in a distant, cold way. He doesn't, you know, write the check at the last minute. He's intimately with us, providing for us. He doesn't just begrudgingly help us in our weakness, like, I guess I'm God, so I got to die for your sins and take care of you, and then like now try to get some stuff done because I paid this price. No, he's with us. He's walking with us, living in our bodies. The question, what do you think of me? God says, I love you. And not from a distance, I love you and I'm with you. I want to dwell with you, be in your body and gather with you in the people of God. I approve of you and I want you 
near me. This means one of the main ways we experience God's empowering presence is through the church, the fellowship of other spirit-filled believers. If God feels distant to you, if you struggle to experience the, the approval, the acceptance you have in Christ, consider your participation in the church. And to maybe put a more finer point on it, specifically in the one another commands of speak to one another and love one another. To kind of maybe mash them up, it would be speaking the truth in love. And I think scripture, Paul gets super practical when talking to the church on this topic. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite passages when, it ta- when I think about what words look like in the family of God is 1 Corinthians 14. These are the, the verses that we never make it to because they come right after the famous wedding chapter. You know, love is patient, love is kind, 1 Corinthians 13. So these are the, these are, this is like the therefore, this is like the ergo, because that's what love is. This is what Paul says, Paul's conclusion to love is patient, love is kind, and all that beautiful stuff is this. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So there is a connection between love within the people of God, in the church. That's the context of 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. And this Holy, powered, Holy Spirit-powered gift of prophecy that leads us to speak. First and foremost, for three things. Upbuilding or edification, building each other up. Encouragement and consolation. I know the P word, prophecy, makes some of us uncomfortable or have lots of feels. We don't have time to obviously do a full treatment on it, but just look at this beautiful teaching scripture gives us on the church using words in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is not first and foremost calling out other people's problems or sins, you know, like from the pulpit or something like that, or bad doctrine. Prophecy is not, it might be part of it, the prophecy is not first and foremost telling people what to do. I have a word from the Lord that you need to donate to my hot tub fund. Pastor Mike and I are getting a pastoral hot tub. You guys need to donate. That's not what prophecy is. Prophecy is not, first and foremost, telling people the future, you know, like what's going to happen. Instead, we see in Scripture this really beautiful paradigm, these real parameters for like when we think about the, the, the scary P word, what it's going to be. It's humbly speaking things in line with the truth of Scripture over specific people's lives, emotions, circumstances, so that they're built up, encouraged, and comforted. Doesn't that sound like something the God of love would give you supernatural power to do for your brother and sister? When when, when I've experienced this, when someone full of the Spirit has laid hands on me and spoke truth over my life, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm in tears in some of the times I felt most loved by God. And on the other side, when, I, when I've stepped out to speak to a brother or sister without a whole lot of plan of what I was going to say, but a desire to encourage and bless and comfort and build up, I've been amazed at what comes out. Like nothing profound, no hot new takes, no nothing's not found in Scripture, but it's just true things in Scripture that speak into their particular lives. It's huge in parenting, laying your hands on your kids and speaking these words over your kids to build them up and encourage and comfort their little hearts. It's been so powerful in marriage when you're in a pit, you're in a fight, and you look at your spouse and ask the Spirit to give you words that you do not have to build, build him or her up and encourage and comfort. And ultimately, this is in the church. Huge in the church, probably specifically for us, mostly in our life transformation groups. 
uh, that are wrapping up here in a week or two, uh, where we're repenting of sin, we're letting the ugly show, and then we're listening to our brothers and sisters as they repent, and we're speaking the truth of the gospel over their lives. In that place of listening, we're asking, Holy Spirit, what do you want this person to hear from you? What scripture does this person need to hear? You don't have to, that, that, that panic of like, I don't know what to say. Like, yeah, you might not. Just listen, see what God would do through you. I know that might be a stretch goal for us as a church family, but just dream with me the lived experience of God's love that would be available to us as we press in, um, as God has set the church to, to spread his love to, through his people. To close, I know it doesn't mean much coming from a pastor, but I love church, and I love you guys so much. I've only been here like a year and a half, and it has been such a gift and grace of God to be a part of this body. This people in this place, making it through COVID and all the drama the last two years have been. Um, and, and listen, I know that church can be hard. Again, some of my deepest pain has come from things I've seen and experienced in churches. And I say that because the invitation to press in today, look at that practice list on the right side of the sheet and try to pick one and to consider how you might step into one of those practices this week. I'm not, I'm not trying to like oversell it. You know, I'm not trying to tie a bow on it or like rose-colored glasses. It might be hard. You might be like, I'm going to ask for help. It's the most awkward, uncomfortable thing that if my mom knew I was doing, she would like, you know, rant at me. I'm going to do it. And then the person could be like, no. I can't help you. And you're going to feel devastated. And then you can come talk to your, your brothers and sisters. Come talk to me. Like, I'm, I'm trying to not oversell as church is just this, like, euphoric, utopian vision. But in the mess, in the mess, there's an invitation to experience the gospel more deeply, that our Father in heaven is inviting us to show up to the family that he died so we could enter and experience life with him and his people. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we praise you uh, for this, this multifaceted, glorious gem of the, of the church that flows out of who Jesus is and what he's done. We praise you that you are uh, at work in our church, being in this sweet season at Redemption City where we're seeing all these wonderful new members join and we're seeing, uh, seeing people put their hands to the plow and join us in the work of the ministry, people baptized. Father, would you add to our number daily those who are being saved as we seek to just be who you made the church to be? I pray for anyone here who has church baggage and wounds that's being brought up and uh, just all these uh, fresh memories uh, of pain coming up. Would you comfort them? Would you give them the strength to share that with someone in their church family that could uh, offer consolation to them in the gospel? We thank you for Jesus. He is the cornerstone, and we love him. Amen.